Good morning, family. How are you doing today? Are you doing well? This is a yes. Let's just practice this for a moment. Let's try this all together. This is going to be Church of Christ calisthenics, all right? So it's just from the neck up. That's all we do around here. Ready? So, uh, yes. You doing well? No? Not doing well? Yeah? Okay, good, good. Well, it's good to see you this morning. For all those joining us online, can we just welcome them this morning? We are one church, and it's just good to be together. Um, I was talking to a member in our church earlier this week who said because of health, they are not able to be here still, and just knowing that we know that they're there uh, means the world. So I know sometimes clapping feels weird, um, especially if you grew up maybe in a church that that you just didn't do that. But these are one of the ways that we try to let people who aren't in our presence know that we are still all together. So thank you, thank you. And for those of you at home, we love you, we miss you, we can't wait until we're all back together again. But today we're together in this season called Advent. The word Advent comes from the Latin word Adventus. We'll say this every week because I want you to know it is about the noteworthy arrival of a particular person. A noteworthy arrival. It's one moment where we remember not only that Christ came, but the good news is Christ will come again. We're not stuck here. He will come again. Can I get an oh yeah from anybody this morning? Hey, all right. So here's where we're going to go for the next few minutes as a church. Uh, We're going to dive into looking back through the annals of history at God's promise and how he fulfilled those promises in Christ. But before we do, I want to give you just a couple things to stay with us during this Advent journey. Number one, I'm going to invite you to do what our family's doing. If you don't already have a daily Advent reading and exercise, join us in ours. Every year we pull out the Jesus Storybook Bible. And one of the things I love about this Bible, I said it last week, I'll say it again. I love that every story from Genesis to Revelation points to Jesus. Doesn't matter the story, it points to Jesus because the whole Bible is about Jesus Christ. And so if you want to follow along, starting today, December 6th, you just kind of pick up where we are and go through. If you want a print out of it, uh, you can find it there on our church website in the kids section, or if you go to clearcreekcoc.org slash Sundays, it'll take you to our Sunday page with all the information, teaching notes and otherwise, and in the connect card, just put in the memo there. Advent reading. We'll send it to you. That way you can have it and follow along during the season. Second thing, on Friday night, excuse me, I guess it's Thursday night, Friday night, Thursday night, I think that's right, December the 24th, we will celebrate Christmas Eve with a online Christmas Eve experience. And this is just one more way that we can, as a church, remember the reason for the season. We will have some special music. There will be a children's story that will be shown and read. We will also have a relatively brief message from me. You all are excited about the brief word. And then we're going to have a, uh, a, a very unique, but I think fun, online virtual candle lighting service. And we're going to do our best. We're going to do our best. To not make it weird, but make it wonderful, okay? But we want you to be a part of that, and we'll give you more information as we come close. But today, we're going to jump back into the ancient texts and look at what promise was given. Last week, we looked at Abraham, and God brought him outside to all the stars and said, the promise is bigger than you can even imagine, Abram. But how many of us know that sometimes the promise seems too good to be true and it doesn't seem to get here fast enough? 
And so we're going to look at the next part of this story. And if you don't hear anything, anything, anything else today, write this down. You say, it's a big promise. It's a great promise. But what is the promise? Here is part of the promise. The promise of Advent is at least in part that Jesus will set us free. Now, this isn't good news to you because you don't understand what's really going on under the surface here. So we're going to peel back the layers. But before we do, just a quick question. Have you paid attention to the dialogue of our culture? As you listen to the words bandied about, you hear people talk a lot about, uh, well, they want certain things, but often what they want is contradictory, right? You want this thing, but you want something that's completely different from that thing as well. How many of you, uh, here's a great example, how many of you go through the drive-thru with your family? Now, you've been to this particular place a million times. You're familiar with the little clown mouth that you speak into and someone magically makes food for you. You know what it's like. You know that your kids always get the same meal, your spouse always gets the same meal, and yet, and yet, what happens when you come to that place? You drive up, you roll down the window, there's a mile-long number of cars behind you because no one can go inside right now, and you say, what do you want? And they all go, I need a minute to think. <laughs> what? <laughs> We're not sure what we want. And in fact, a lot of times what we want doesn't even go together. So let me give you a perfect example of this. Our world will say, we want to be... Free. Free. Oh, I just want to be free. No one telling me what to do, where to go, how to live, how to act. I want autonomy. I want freedom. But then if you and I were to pull that person aside and have a true heart-to-heart conversation, you'd hear them say, yeah, I just wish I had a deep, significant relationship with another person, someone I could love and who would love me back. And you'd tell them, friend... What you want is not freedom. After all, I've been married now coming up on 15 years this month. Lindsay, I love her. She's great. But there are some things she won't let me do because we're married. I am not free. I am married. Now, now we're not going down a different track there. I just, okay, I want to be clear here what I'm not saying. But we want things that seem to be contradictory. Or someone will say, well, you know, it's not that I don't... Well, maybe it's this. We'll say, I want to be free and I don't want anyone telling me what to do. I just want to be left alone. And then someone makes this little word phrase change. They change the definition and they'll say, I just want to be alone. Just don't bother me. Don't pay attention to me. But friend, if you can do whatever you want and no one notices and no one even cares... You're not free. You've been abandoned. And so we forget and we confuse what it means to be free. The reason this is such a good news, a good promise, is because we live in a world that is desperate for freedom, and yet the world doesn't even know what it really wants. Yet there's a yearning in each of us for freedom. This story of freedom begins centuries before the birth of Christ. In fact, it has its roots all the way back in this beautiful Old Testament book of Exodus and the story of another little baby named Moses. And in fact, there are so many similarities between Moses and Jesus that Matthew, one of the gospel writers, will tell us there are these similarities. They will draw out the similarities for us. So for instance, Moses was almost killed by the crazed king of Egypt, Pharaoh, and Jesus Christ was almost king by the crazed 
supposed king of Judea named Herod. Jesus goes up on the mountain and gives the word of God through the Sermon on the Mount. Moses goes up on the mount and receives the word of God through the Ten Commandments. Moses spends 40 days alone with God in the wilderness without food or water. He is with the Lord. Jesus spends 40 days alone with God without food or water. Jesus is shown in the New Testament to be the greater Moses, because he is the one that fulfills the promise. Promise is made in Moses, but it is fulfilled in Jesus Christ. So what is this promise? Where do we go? Well, let's go back to the beginning of Exodus chapter 2 and verse 1. These are the words of the story of Moses. It begins this way. Now, a man of the tribe of Levi married a Levite woman, and she became pregnant and gave birth to a son. When she saw that he was a fine child, she hid him for three months. But when she could hide him no longer, why is that? Babies cry, don't they? When she couldn't hide him any longer, she got a papyrus basket for him and coated it with pitch and tar. Then she placed the child in it and put it among the reeds along the bank of the Nile. Now Moses' sister stood at a distance to see what would happen to him. Then Pharaoh's daughter went down to the Nile to bathe, and her attendants were walking along the riverbank. She just so happened to see the basket among the reeds and sent her female slaves to get it. She opened it, and she saw the baby. He was crying, and she felt sorry for him. This is one of the Hebrew babies, she said. Then his, talking about Moses, then his sister asked Pharaoh's daughter, Shall I go and get one of the Hebrew women to nurse the baby for you? Yes, go, Pharaoh's daughter answered. So the girl went and got the baby's mother. Whose mother is that? Moses' mama. See, she thought she was giving him up, but God gives her more time with this little one, doesn't he? She gets them. Pharaoh's daughter said to her, take this baby and nurse him for me and I will pay you. So the woman took the baby and nursed him. When the child grew older, she took him to Pharaoh's daughter and he became her son. She named him Moses saying, I drew him out of the water. Now fast forward with me centuries later to Matthew chapter 2 or 1 verses 20 and 21. It says this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him, this is Joseph, the earthly father of Jesus, appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. Now she will give birth to a son and you will give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. You will name him Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. Let's pray together. God, we thank you this morning for the promised coming of Christ who set us free so we may now live free. Give us eyes to see, ears to hear, and hearts ready that we may find freedom in Jesus. And for those who have already said yes to you and received you in baptism, I pray that we would, in a new, deeper way, experience the freedom that only comes from and through Jesus Christ. It's in his name we pray. Amen. Amen. All right, so the years were not good to the Israelite people. The world was an absolute mess. Stop there. Is the world today an absolute mess, church? See, this isn't a story simply for the pages of history. This is a story for the moments we live 
Egypt had once been the safe home of the Hebrew people because centuries earlier, a man named Joseph had come onto the scenes. He had been brought into Egypt as a slave, but by God's grace and empowerment, he had revealed to the ancient Pharaoh there were going to be some very tough years of famine. So because of his influence, Egypt prepared. When all the nations had no idea, Egypt prepared. So when the famine came, they sold food to the surrounding nations. People lived. And Egypt, because of the money they received for the food they sold, became the world's superpower. Pharaoh was not just another king on the block. He was the king over all the kings of the known world. He had armies that had armies. They were the biggest, the baddest around. And because of Joseph, because of the Hebrew people, they showed favoritism to this group of outsiders. They were given the reward of living inside the bounds of the nation of Egypt, and they grew strong. But that's the problem, isn't it? They grew strong. Pharaoh looked at this group of people and he began to go, oh no, there's too many of them. If we uh, come at odd purposes, this large group can and most likely will fight against us, overthrow us. So the only solution is to tamp down on them, put them into slavery. Now here's the first thing if you're taking notes that you need to write down this morning about slavery. Israel, the Hebrew people, were not The only slaves in this story were they. Pharaoh was a slave to his fear. He had seen what was intended to be the blessing of God, this people, in his midst. And because of his fear, he saw the blessing as a threat. Here's the very first thing you need to know. Everyone is a slave to something. Everyone is a slave to something. Now, it may not be that you're a slave in chains, but you'll be a slave to something before, and many of us, even after we've come to meet Jesus Christ. Uh, It may be an addiction. The number of friends I have who have secret habits, hang-ups, and hurts that they have yet to deal with and get over. And some of us in this room, it may be an addiction. Maybe it's a substance. Maybe it's a habit. Maybe it's a person. Maybe it's just a way of thinking. Uh, For others... It's the chains of fear. I have so many friends who who find themselves just enchained, enslaved to fear. What will the future look like? What's it going to be like a year from now or 10 or for my children? What, What about, I don't know if I have enough money for retirement. I don't have a job for retirement. My health. Many of us are slaves not simply to fear or habits and addictions, but some of us, we are enslaved to what other people think about us. Have you noticed this? You look and everything on Facebook and social media, it's all photoshopped and airbrushed and that's the lives you think others live. I love the way one person put it. Social media is simply the highlight reel of other people's lives while we're living the real lives that we have. And yet we're enslaved to these things and you need to understand the very first thing is everyone, everyone is enslaved to something. I love what one of my mentors said years ago. He said, if right now we could look around the room of the church and above our heads would be a neon sign that said the sin or the struggle that each person deals with. He said the only thing that would surprise us is how similar we all are because we're all slaves to something. And so Pharaoh, because he was afraid and he was a slave to this fear, ends up enslaving others 
Make your own bricks. Build the buildings that raised Egypt to this superpower. He ends up putting them under harsh, harsh conditions until they begin to cry out to God. Isn't it true that when things are the worst, we cry out the most? I wish, and this is just a confession, Josh Diggs often doesn't cry out until the pain is too unbearable. I wish I were the kind of person who cried out in the good times, and I'm getting better, but I'm not where I want to be yet. But this is the human condition. They cried out, and after years of oppression, God answers, and he says, okay, I've heard. In fact, if you want to hear the phrase used, it's in verse 23 through 5, where God hears and is concerned for his people. Hear me now. While they were still slaves, God was concerned for them. While you and I were yet sinners, God was concerned for us, and he died for us. And so he says, I'm going to send someone to save you. They say, great, who's it going to be? He says, I'll let you know soon, but he has just been born. And you can almost imagine the confetti about to fly, the balloons about to go up, the doves, whatever, and they're like, hang on, did you say... Born? Our problems are bigger than a baby can solve. Haven't you seen Egypt? Haven't you seen their power? Haven't you seen Pharaoh? We need something just a little bit bigger than a baby. Just be honest with me for a moment here. How many of us, if we could have a face-to-face with God, how many of us would say, okay, okay, can we just talk about what we really need around here? Because God, clearly, I'm seeing things you're not. Let me give you my suggestions list. By the way, how many of our prayers are simply suggestions in disguise? Because we see the problems and we assume he just doesn't, but he's, no, 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 no. You don't understand. I'm at work in ways you can't see. You don't understand. And it's going to take some time. In fact, it's going to take 80 years. 80 years, 80 years. Can you imagine being told, God is going to fix the problem, but you have 80 years until it starts. How many of us, let's just be honest this morning, how many of us, if we were to pull the Hebrew people aside and say, hey, let's just dream together, 80 years from now, what does the world look like? How many of them, how many of them would say, oh, Josh, oh, Jim, oh, this, this, Here's what I imagine. It's horrible now, but 80 years from now, God's going to send someone with a stick. All right, all right? And that stick's going to turn to a snake, Nile's turning to blood, sun to darkness, angel of death, the whole nine yards. And then, and then when we leave Egypt, the people of Egypt are going to be so glad to see us go, they give us gifts. That's what I see in the future, Josh. How many of them would have just said, 80 years from now, There is no future because we are in chains. Friends, how many of us, I'm not asking 80, but when I say, what does this time next year look like for you? How many of us have the same attitude as the Hebrews do? Question, listen to me, please hear me. Do you and I serve a different God than the Hebrew people? Is anything too big for your God? You and I serve the same God who liberated them from bondage so that they can not only be set free, but live 
free and he is the same God who shows up today in our situation and oh, while we can't see the chains, he is the God who breaks the chains. His plan is liberation and freedom for all. That is the story, but it's going to take time. Now, Israel is in a bad way and there's a baby born, raised in the palace. In fact, if we were to talk to God, Israel would say there is no future, but God says, I am up to something. In fact, this baby is going to liberate you from Pharaoh and I'm going to charge it to Pharaoh. He's going to educate the boy that will one day liberate you all. He's going to teach this boy how to lead a people because he's going to need to know how to do that. I am going to set you free and I'm going to use the enemy to do it. There is nothing bigger, more powerful than your God. He even uses those opposed to his purposes to fulfill his purposes, church. So this is the story. Now, Moses, he goes, man, I'm something. He sensed that he had a purpose. And so the day that he sees a slave master beating on a Hebrew, he intervenes, accidentally killing the Egyptian slave master. He covers it up, thinking no one saw it. He thinks, now maybe the Hebrew people will rally to me and we will throw off the bonds of slavery. But then when he sees two Hebrew people fighting, he steps in, brothers, stop this. And they say, who are you to tell us what to do? You're going to kill us like you did that Egyptian? Isn't it interesting? They're saying, we want freedom, but Moses, we don't want the kind of freedom you're offering. Here's the second thing you need to write down about slavery. Number one, everyone is a slave to something. But number two, slavery steals your will to be free. Slavery steals your will to be free. Hey, we want freedom, but Moses, we don't want your kind of freedom. We want to be set free, but the status quo is kind of comfortable. It is easier to stay the same but to complain than to do something about it. Isn't it, church? By the way, some of us didn't go to high school, but all of us graduated with a Ph.D. in complaining. Can I get a mm-hmm? And if you did, and go ahead and nudge the person next to you, you're married to someone or have given birth to people who, although young and little, are experts at complaining. Any of the parents want to just give an oh yeah to that. Now, the reality is we all are slaves, but slavery steals our will to be free because it's easier to blame other people, isn't it? But God's plan is not simply to set you free, but he comes in in the spirit of God. We're told, Jeremiah says, that he actually exchanges our hearts from stone and he softens it so that, hear me now, we begin to want the things of God. Here's a prayer. If you this morning are saying, I'm stuck in something, but I don't want to be set free, not really, then here's the prayer for you. It's the one I've prayed hundreds of times in my life and I'm sure will pray again. God, I don't want to be free. But I want to want to be free. I don't have the desire, but I wish I did. Give me the desire to be free. And God begins the plan. He sends Moses out into the desert, fleeing Pharaoh. And out in the wilderness for 40 years, he is trained. He meets God. Isn't it interesting? God sends him into the very wilderness that Moses will then lead his people into. Almost as though he had to get Moses familiar to the places he would lead his people. Time comes. Moses returns. 
He stands before Pharaoh, and we've all seen the movie. We know that moment where there before Pharaoh with a flowing beard and robe, Charlton Heston says to Pharaoh, let my people, do you know the word? Go. And then Pharaoh says, no. You and what army, Moses? And Moses says, no army, just me. My stick? Oh, yeah, and the God who gave me the stick. The God who flung stars in the sky. The God who spoke and light burst forth. The God who created the mountains, formed the seas. The God who calls you by name. The God who gave you the very breath, Pharaoh, that you just inhaled. The God who put the blood in your veins and the heart that pumps. I got him on my side. That is the one who has come to liberate. And so through the series of plagues, God brings his people out. Moses, with over a million people, they cross through the Red Sea. They find their way to the Jordan River, many years of wandering until their toes are on the very edge of the promised land. And they can see, they can see the freedom that they have been hungry for for years. Let me just do a quick question. How many of you are looking at the promised land that you desperately want. Now, I want to be clear. We all have the same promised land of being with God forever. No more pain, no more tears, no more wayward emotions or desires, but union with God forever. What a great day that will be. But friends, every one of us has something, an area where it's the, it's the if-onlys. You know what the if-onlys are, right? If only. I would be free if only she would come back home. I can see it. If she would just come home, if only then I would be free. If only my kid would return my call, it'd be okay. If only I didn't return to the same thing over and over. If only the doctor would give me a good report. If only the economy, if only the political world, if only our nation, if only, if only you can see the promised land and you are going, God, I see it. I want freedom. But God, I want, to hear, I want you to hear this now. God says... His picture of freedom and ours may be a little different. See, we are all enslaved to something and our will doesn't always line up with wanting to be set free. In fact, though, what is freedom? Here's the first thing you need to know. Number three, freedom. We're not free to be anything we want to be. Here's the bad news. You're not free to be just anything you want to be. Have you noticed that? Let let me give you a very simple illustration here. Um, I, growing up, wanted to be a professional Seven-foot-tall NBA player. I'm now a preacher. Can you be anything you want to be? If I were to say to you, hey, church, can I be a professional NBA superstar? What would you tell me? See, you won't say yes to me about things. You won't even greet me at the beginning of a message. But you'll say no to me about that, right? Because we all know you can't be everything you want to be. Think about this for a moment. I remember back in middle school, there's this athlete named Michael Jordan. Oh, man. To watch him play was magnificent. I remember we all wanted to be like Mike. After all, that was the slogan. And so they created these shoes called Air Jordans. How many of you saw or had a pair of Air Jordans? Anyone in this room? Oh, man. They would, the, the tagline is, 
be like Mike. So I thought, man, if I get the shoes, I'm going to be like Mike. So I saved and I saved and I saved and I bought a deeply discounted pair of Vera Jordans. I just want to tell you, I was still the slow white dude sitting on the bench, but I did have a nice pair of shoes. You can't be anything you want to be. The world will tell you, but if, you, if you're not everything you want to be, the reason is, is because you just didn't try hard enough. You didn't put your mind to it. It's your fault if you're not who you want to be. And then the other part of the world will say, no, 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 no. If you're not everything you want to be, it's not because of you. It's because of another group of people, another individual. They've taken something from you. They are oppressing you. It is their fault if you aren't what you want to be. But church, the liberation of God, the promise of freedom is not that you and I can be whatever we want to be. The promise is, put this up, that we are free to be everything God intended us to be. Don't settle for what you wanted. Settle for what he has called you into. He calls the people out of slavery, not simply to be free. He says, you will now be the priests, the ones who mediate between me and humanity. You will be the prototype, the first of what it looks like to live as fully human people in a community of human people as God designed it. You were created not simply to live up to your dreams, but to live up to the dream God has for you. That is liberation. You just ask the fish who desires to live outside of the water. That fish finally gets its wish and is on the shore flopping around. You say, are you free? And the fish goes, no. Why? Because it was designed to live and operate in a particular way. Freedom comes when we live within the bounds the way God called us to live. Booty, God freed you to be a certain kind of man. And by the way, we've watched you be that man. I see so many of you out here, Sharon, God liberated you to be a particular woman and you have lived into that. We are called by God to live into a particular way of life and he says, I will empower you to do that. Not pie in the sky, but God's way. This is what God promised. But here's the thing, here's the thing. Israel thought everything would be better if they just had a change of address. (laughs) Get us out of Egypt. Everything will be okay. Was everything okay, church? Uh, Not for long. Years pass. They're enslaved not one more time, but two more times until the world is again upside down. It's not Egypt. It's not even Babylon, but now it's Rome, the world's greatest superpower. And again, people cry out, and God says, as he said in Exodus, help is on its way. He was just born. And the world again says, we can't wait. And God says, trust me, it's going to be at the perfect time. And this one is going to be the one who doesn't set you free from human slavery. He's the one who will set you free so that no matter where you are, you may be free. And we should have known, shouldn't we? It was all in the name. The name Jesus. Let's put this back up. Final points. Jesus will set us free. This name Jesus. 
Do you remember the angel said, you will call him, you will name him Jesus. Have you noticed that we give names to children often based on what sounds good or the meaning behind it or the family legacy? And God himself through this angel says, I want you to name this boy Jesus. Why? Okay, the name Jesus comes from the Hebrew name Yeshua, Joshua, Yeshua, Yah is for Lord and Shua is saves. His name literally means God saves. When Mary called her little one to him as he toddled across the floor, Yeshua, she was proclaiming God saves. As Joseph, his daddy, taught him at the bench how to do what he did, and he said, Yeshua, he was proclaiming God saves. As we gather here and we say to God, we thank you in the name of Yeshua, we are proclaiming that God saves the promise of freedom that began in Exodus is fulfilled in Jesus Christ and it continues today. The world is a mess, but God is not done yet. This is what freedom looks like, family. This is what it looks like. I want to just ask you a question. Are you free this morning? Have you given your life to Jesus Christ? And let me be very clear. When I say when you've given your life, I'm not asking, did you get in the water? Although that, I believe, is so very, very important. But I'm asking you right now, what is it that still holds on to the strings of your heart? Have you given that to him? Have you said, God, I don't want to be a slave. I want to be free in you. Are you free this morning? Because the promise of Advent is because God loves you, there is hope for you through Jesus Christ. And all it takes is saying, I need to be set free. And then we follow him into the moments of baptism and we give him our lives and everything, everything is changed.